Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. My guest today is Stephanie Kern from Sit Happens Dog Training and Behavior in Athens, Georgia. Thanks for joining me today, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story, because you are both a vet tech and a dog trainer, and I'm curious to know how you went from little kid to both of those careers. So I am born and raised in Georgia. Um, My entire family is from New England. So they say I have an accent. I don't, I don't think I do, but I was definitely raised by two Yankees, which made things interesting, but I have my bachelor's degree from the university of Georgia. And I started college with the intent to be a veterinarian, like all kids who love animals do. And then organic chemistry. And I just, we didn't, we didn't make a lifelong friendship there. So I veered off into the world of wildlife biology with the intent of doing wildlife rehab. Come to find out, um, not a lot of money to be made in that. So I kind of bounced around with a couple different internships and jobs and got started at a local pet store um, in Athens that I was helping take care of the animals. And Tina, my the owner of Sit Happens Dog Training was teaching classes in the back store room of that store. So she teases me to this day that I got a lot of information for free because on my lunch breaks, I would hide in the corner and like listen to her classes <laughs> until one day she says, why don't you take a class? Actually, like actually take it. So she was instrumental in helping me with my first dog, uh, who is since passed. But that dog was, she made me a better dog trainer and a better dog owner, but she was not easy. Um, I learned a lot, but Tina was instrumental in helping me manage the dog that I had in front of me. So after working at Pet Store, I started thinking about the veterinary world while trying to get my foot in the door with Tina um, and helping with her classes. And I, for some reason, some veterinary clinic a little bit away from Athens decided to hire me and train me on the job to be a vet tech. So um, I don't have any degree or schooling in veterinary uh, medicine, just learned on the job. So I'm now in my fourth clinic in 10-ish years. I now work I worked at three general practice clinics. So your general practice, your vet that you go to for, for all the things. I'm currently at our local humane society in the Bay Neuter Center. 
which is a big difference from general practice. Um, it is spay and neuter over and over and over and over and over 30 times a day, every day. So it's, it's different, but I like it. And throughout those 10 years of working in veterinary clinics, I attended Tina's classes when I could and assisted where I could. And um, probably five years ago, we got the opportunity to start teaching classes at a humane society in, in Northeast Georgia. And we wrote the curriculum together of a class specifically tailored to them. So that kind of got my foot in the door of being an instructor. And then we are now teaching at the same pet store that I met Tina at in (laughs) Athens. Um, And I'm the main instructor of that class that we wrote together that is now solely taught in Athens. And I'm on my second dog. and. I am just, you know, trying to figure out where to go from here, stay in veterinary medicine. Eventually, one day Tina will retire. I don't know when that (laughs) day will be, but the plan is for me to take over the business. But yeah, that's my that's my work story. Um, I have a fiance. We are getting married in November of 2022, and um, we share our home with my cat and my now second dog, who is much different and much easier than my first dog and uh, my fiance's 15 year old son. So just learning how to be a stepmom, manage two jobs and plan a wedding, you know, just the usual, just the usual. Yeah. Nothing, nothing hard. (laughs) So you mentioned it's your second dog. So you did not grow up with dogs. Second dog as an adult. Okay. Um, I grew up with a ton of dogs. We always had two for some reason. My parents never had one. We always had two. One would pass. We'd get another one. They have now, since I left, have pared it down just to one dog at a time. But second dog of me being the sole owner. Okay. I'm surprised how many of my guests on the show have, have been the kid who loved dogs, but didn't have one in their life as a child. And so I wondered if that was the case for you. No, we had, we never had anything but dogs. We always had two dogs, usually one big and one little, no idea why I still haven't asked my parents. I probably should, but first, first dog I got, um, while I was in college, I probably should not have been a dog owner at that time, but here we are. Um, So second dog as, as an adult, I would say. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting how many pet professionals have the dog that taught them what they needed to know, you know? And so, yes, most college students aren't ready to adopt a dog, um, but wasn't your dog lucky to have somebody who cared so much to really learn and use your lunch break to sit in a dog training class and find things out and then work with her. And what a gift for both of you that you were connected, even though it was a tough time in your life to be doing that and that she wasn't the dog that would be easy um, to do that with. Now, I am, I'm a full believer that you acquire in whatever way you acquire the dog that you're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. And she, I was very lucky to work at a vet clinic for so long because the discount definitely came in handy with her. (laughs) 
she had a lot of medical issues and behavioral stuff, but I learned, I learned stuff that I still use to this day. So it was a very, she was meant to be mine. Can you tell me one thing that you know that you're better about as a result of having her in your life? Mm. No one's ever asked me that. Um, So I would have two different answers. Medically, I would say that there's not always one correct diagnosis. There's not always one, oh, all of these symptoms can be attributed to whatever, diabetes. There's often more things in play that we may realize. And training behavior-wise, I would say to listen to your dog, right? Like I was, I was, like I say a lot, I was young and dumb. She helped me grow up, I would say, but she taught me that I need to listen to the dog instead of putting what I think first and look at the dog in front of you, not what you think the dog in front of you is trying to tell you. Actually look and observe first before forming an opinion or a mindset or a training plan or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's such a powerful insight, not only for the dogs that you work with, but just all of your life, you know, just like, like, look at what's actually here, not what I'm thinking about what's here. Yeah, I would, I would say it, it comes into play daily, even in personal relationships, right. Where I'm dealing with clients or, or what have you. And I tend to hear, for example, Basset Hound. I'm like, okay, he barks, probably has an ear infection, pretty happy though. And then the actual Basset Hound comes in and I'm like, huh, you're none of those things. (laughs) Probably should have waited to actually see you before forming those opinions. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So you are also very interested in wildlife biology. What made you decide to to head toward, I mean, besides money, the domestic side? Was it just a, a financial decision or was it that it just resonated in some way? Um, I would say kind of both. So right after right after I graduated from UGA, I did an internship on the Georgia coast monitoring sea turtle nesting, which by the way, I would highly recommend that the week after you graduate college, go hang out on the beach for six months (laughs) and get paid. Like could not have planned that any better. (laughs) But I also realized with that job and the internship I did next at a wildlife rehab facility in Texas, that it's, it's not it's a very thankless job and it's not very well known to the public. So not well funded and it's not personable, right? Like the average American is not going to say, I got a bonus check. I'm going to donate it to the wildlife rehabber closest to me to help keep raccoons alive. Mm -hmm. Our society, I would say is much more likely to, do things that are close to us. So the dog and the cat living in your house, we're much more likely to put money towards those things. Or for example, our local humane society that are 
helping the feral cat populations. You see feral cats all the time. That's more tangible. So I would say those causes generally get more funding. I also kind of learned that there's not a lot of locations where you can learn on the job and still be near the people that you love and your family. So there's not a lot of wildlife rehab facilities that have huge buildings and funding and a hotline that take on interns and and have the ability to teach people in that environment. Most, I would say in my experience in the Southeast, at least, most wildlife rehabbers are doing it out of the goodness of their heart in their backyard, right? Like there's not, besides universities, there's not a ton of places to go that aren't in the middle of nowhere or in the middle of a big city. And I was kind of looking, whether I knew it at the time, looking for kind of in the middle. So like the town that we live in now, which I I adore, is a 20-minute drive to Athens. We're not in the middle of nowhere. Like the grocery store is five minutes down the road. We get great cell service, right? We're not mm-hmm. struggling to get internet and, and all the technology things. All of those resources are pretty close by. Most, I would say the handful of, of successful wildlife rehab facilities are going to be either in big cities or in the middle of nowhere. And there's not much in between. So I think when I was that age in my 20s, I was just looking for whoever would give me a chance. And the wildlife rehab facility where I did my internship wasn't hiring at that point. And it was in Texas. And coming from someone who had never lived outside the state of Georgia, I was not, I was not ready to, to move away from everything I knew permanently. Mm-hmm. So I came back to to the state of Georgia and that clinic gave me, gave me an opportunity. So I kind of just took it. I don't know that it was a, this is where my life is headed. It was more, I need a job <laughs> and I want to stay near my people. And here's an opportunity to do that. And that clinic was a teaching hospital. So it was geared towards training techs on the job. They had a whole program set up. So I think everything happens for a reason. I don't know that I was meant to do wildlife biology or wildlife rehab or or that. I'm still open to it in the future, you know, if I win the lottery and set it up in my backyard. But I would say that those experiences with wildlife rehab and, and biology helped me learn anatomy and, and a little bit of chemistry without taking OCHEM <laughs> um, that I've put towards veterinary medicine and even training. But I think I'm, I'd like to think I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're where you're supposed to be. I hope so. <laughs> you did, you did say that wildlife rehab can be a thankless job. And I have to tell you, thankless is a term that most vet techs I talk to say that they feel that their job is a, a thankless job. So can you tell me what are you personally finding as a think <laughs> in the thankless part in the vet tech world? How how are you reinforced as a vet tech and how does it fill you up? So I would say 
it's a blessing and a curse that I've, I've done this for so long. The average, I think the last I heard the average veterinary technician assistant, the terms are dependent on what state you live in, in the U S mm-hmm. or what country, if you live outside the U S in Georgia, they're, they're kind of muddy. So I call myself a vet tech, but technically I'm a veterinary assistant because I have no degree or schooling in veterinary medicine. So I would say it's a blessing and a curse that I've been a vet tech for so long. The average career is, I think I last read about seven years. Mm-hmm. So I'm a couple years past that. And there's a reason it's only seven years. Oftentimes there are, there are lots of pet owners that only seek out their veterinarian in times of crisis. So we don't get the, I mean, we get a lot of happy puppies that are coming in to get poked and prodded every three weeks. So I would say it's the thank part for me in where I'm at now in the high volume spay neuter clinic is sending home a pet that is alive, happy to see their owner. And the incision looks great. Like my bar is pretty low. (laughs) <laughs> which probably means that I'm chronically burned out and fatigued, but I'm like that crusty old vet tech that is like, it's alive. It's fine. But I would say earlier on in my career, when I was in general practice, there wasn't a lot of thanking, right? Because veterinary medicine is very different from human medicine. And I don't know that the average pet owner knows that right? Like we go to, for the most part, we go to the doctor and we pay a copay that's generally under a hundred dollars. And we get a lot of things for free because we pay a monthly insurance fee. Mm -hmm. For the most part, pet insurance is not a popular thing. Now I have pet insurance because I know how it works. Um, I know how the system works, but I don't know that it's it's popular enough that people realize the actual cost of things. Um, So in one of the the social media vet tech groups, we share all the time about people that go texts that go to the hospital for work-related injuries, right? Like cat bites and, and all the things. And they share copies of their hospital bill that is for essentially what is a Band-Aid and some antibiotics. The bill is five to $10,000 and it's either covered under workman's comp or they pay a copay and it's free. Yeah. We don't have that in veterinary medicine for the average. Most pet insurance is reimbursement. So the owner has to pay it up front first, then they get their money back from the insurance company. So I, I think the thankless part of veterinary medicine comes from the financial. Like we we have to charge for our services. At the end of the day, every veterinarian is a business, whether it's corporately owned, private owned, publicly funded, whatever, it's still a business. We still have to pay the electricity bill. We still have to pay payroll. So yes, your, your bill is due at the time of service. And if we, I don't want to speak for all veterinary staff in the world, but if we could do everything for free, and we can still pay our bills, I'm pretty sure all of us would. Yeah. Like that would be, that would be fantastic. But I think because most of the time people are seeking out veterinary assistance for trauma, 
right? For things that came on all of a sudden that were not expected. There are times that you have to pay a bill and you're not taking your pet home. That sucks. Like that's hard. And I totally get that. I cannot say that in the same mindset, I would be thanking the veterinary staff as I'm crying, handing over my credit card. So I totally get it. But at the end of the day, we're like, we still have to pay our bills. And most, I would say veterinary staff is underpaid. So we, we try to take the small wins, like the thankless, how we get the thanks out of thankless is those, those happy puppies that are like, thanks for my vaccine. Do you have more cheese? (laughs) Like those little, little moments throughout the day that some days outweigh the bad stuff. Some days it doesn't. I would say a lot of times it doesn't, but we have to, and for any veterinary staff listening, you have to take the small wins and make them bigger than the bad stuff. Cause it's, it's inevitable. The bad stuff is inevitable. The pets are not going to live forever. It sucks. Like I wish some of them could, not all of them, some of them, I wish they could. I still remember to this day, one time I went to Publix after a grocery store, after my shift ended at my first veterinary clinic. It was right down the road. So they saw us all the time in our, in our blue scrubs and the sweet cashier just happened to ask me the wrong question on a really bad day. And she said, oh, do you work at the vet of the streets? Yep. Trying to like keep it together as I was purchasing a large piece of chocolate cake and a bottle of wine that probably should have tipped her off. But here we are. And she said, oh, that must be such a great job. But do you ever have to put animals to sleep? Mm. And she just caught me on the wrong day where we had more than a handful of appointments that did not end in their owners taking them home. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, it's the worst part of the job. And I found that the conversation kind of ends at that point on a Debbie mm-hmm. Downer. So I tried to follow it up with, but I got to see a really cute puppy today. And then she felt better about asking me a silly question. So I will never forget that moment because I had to, in my mind, change the narrative of, yes, that does happen. Just like people pass away, animals pass away, I would say in in larger numbers because they don't live as long. And we have to take the happy puppy appointments and make those bigger in our mind than, than the sad times. Yeah. Which is it's super important to do, but in in that particular story, you also were put in the position of dealing with your own stress, struggle, and grief, and then making it okay for her. So rather than sharing the stress, not sharing, but like offloading it, like yeah. when when you saw her start to realize, oh, then you needed to make it a little bit better for her. We didn't need to, but you chose to because you have the kind of heart that does that. But there's a cost to that too. There's a cost to that too in that 
you can't just walk around telling everyone, you know, what's really hard about my job, because while that may in some ways lighten your load, it causes other people moments of, of grief and pain too, that, that you don't want to cause them. So it's like, you need to have the right people to talk to in the safe places to talk about these things because they must be discussed and, and shared, but most people don't want to hear and aren't prepared to hear it. Yeah. That it has to go somewhere, Yeah, right? Like your feelings, your energy, it's got to go somewhere. So I would say at that time in my life, I balanced exercise with eating my feelings. It, for the most part, I was pretty lucky it balanced (laughs) out until I stopped exercising, but yeah, it has to go somewhere. Yeah. One of the things I read recently was before you start a conversation about something serious or whatever, you ask the person, do you want to vent? Do you want me to listen? Do you want advice? Or, and there's something else I can't remember, but it was easier. It's easier to have that conversation. If Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just listening or I need to formulate a solution to the problem you're giving me. Um, So I try to keep that in mind when I'm venting to my fiance and I say, I'm just venting. Like I, he's a fixer. So I'm like, I, I don't need you to fix. You can't fix veterinary medicine. Like you can't (laughs) fix the fact that pets only live, you know, 10 to 18 years. Like you can't fix it. I just need to get it off my chest. So I can start the next day with a clean slate. I asked you for some words that had meaning to you and they feel like they relate here now. So the quote you shared was, you can only control what you can control. So tell me a little bit about that and how it came to be something personally meaningful to you. So I would say I it started because I'm an only child and I am in every sense of the word an only child. My parents were fantastic and one could say they spoiled me a little bit. So I was used to kind of getting my way, like kind of doing everything how I would want it done. And I think working with animals, they don't do what you want a lot of the time. So it really, like my work, veterinary medicine and dog training really helped change that mindset of you can't, you can't control whether an animal sits when you ask, like you can set everything up of using really good treats and luring or free shaping or or what have you. But at the end of the day, you're only trying to control the situation when really it's up to the dog. If he wants to put his butt on the ground. In veterinary medicine, you can't control if a pet gets better or not. Like you can do supportive care and do chemotherapy and and all the things, but at the end the end of the day, it's it's up to the animal whether they want to fight what's going on or not. So I really think that has it started in professional life and crossed over into personal life. I think at the end nearing the end of my last relationship and getting into a relationship with my fiance. Now it really like hit home. You have to stop trying to control everything and some things just happen. And there isn't always a reason. A lot of times there is a reason it doesn't come up right away, but I really tried to consciously stop trying to control everything and stop 
overthinking everything. That was my my New Year's resolution this past year of stop overthinking. I'd like to think I've done a great job at it, but there's still sometimes that probably more so in my profession in my personal life that I'm like, no, 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 we have to do it this way. And then I I hope my mom isn't listening, but <laughs> I hear my mom's voice go, is that kitchen sink clean? I'm like, no. <laughs> but everyone's definition of clean is different. To be fair, everyone's definition of their dog's down cue is different, mm-hmm. right? Like in your more high level activities, which I don't do. So I'm sorry if I'm throwing out the wrong terminology, but like rally and agility and all that. I'm assuming the dog has to lay down in the same manner every time, like either head first, but for like, there probably is some structure about what the down should look like. I don't care. My dog downs probably different every time. We're actually putting on cue that he puts his head down first and then butt collapses. <laughs> but just because he offered that, like, I don't, I don't care how he lays down. He's 60 pounds. I would like him to lay down a, a lot of times, but I can't control whether he lay down. Like I can do what I know how to do to set up the situation to be successful in trying to get the outcome I want. But at the end of the day, like I can't control that. So I think recently, probably within the last three to five years, it's really hit home that I can't control a lot of things and I'm not super religious, but I just, there is someone in charge and it's not me. Like I can't control how many cups of coffee I had today and we're on number two. But I can control the little things and I do take ownership of that. Like I control what I put in my mouth. I control what groceries I buy and what I feed my animals so that I can try to prevent any disease in the future with them. But I can't control if my dog gets cancer. I can't control my cat is a year ago this month. She was diagnosed with the early stages of kidney failure. She is, I wish her the best of luck. She's really pretty. Can't really touch her. So I feed her as best I can. When disease takes over, she's not going to suffer, but I can't control when that disease process starts or ends. Mm -hmm. I think my last dog really started that process of, I can only control what I can control. Like at one point she was on like 10 different medications and I did everything right. I cleaned her teeth because she had horrible teeth. Like every six months she was getting dental cleanings. We did blood work every six months and she out of nowhere, it just happened. She went downhill and then she was gone. I think how she passed away is still kind of a driving force between me overthinking and me trying not to control everything. Cause at the end of the day, I know that I did everything correctly and I, she's still gone. So Mm -hmm. I've tried to 
learn from that, but also try not to repeat the same thing over and over with every dog that I have. So we're trying new things and I can't control what happens in the end. I can only control my daily choices of what I eat, what I drink, which so far today is only coffee and what I feed my animals, right? I can't really control what my fiance and my stepson eat. I try, but at the end of the day, that's up to them. I can't control them. I can't change the fact that my definition of a clean kitchen is different from both of their definitions of a clean kitchen. (laughs) And I get to decide if their definition of clean is good enough or if I want to go back and make it actually clean. I can't control that they think it's clean. It is what it is. So I think I think what I did just there was it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I've done that a lot <laughs> in the past three years, I would say of it is what it is. I think COVID probably started that as well, where I was like, yeah. clearly I can't control what the heck is going on out here. So it is what it is. Mm-hmm. There's a nice balance, though, in in letting go. The it is what it is, and letting things be as they are, and also the intelligently setting yourself up for success, like the things that you can control and the things that you can do that make it more likely that your animals will be healthy, or that your dog will lie down, or any of the things you know, or that your kitchen will be clean. <laughs> the the pieces that. There is a distinction. I can only control what I can control. Yes. And there are things I can control. And there are times that we feel sort of trapped and powerless. And one of the things you said earlier in this conversation was you do need to catch those moments of of happiness and hold them because they are more likely to be fleeting and the the heavy things are harder. And so that is something you can control. And that is something you're demonstrating that you control. Like just in the way you've shared your stories here, your ability to recognize the importance of that, that you need to define what's meaningful and powerful and joy-filled for you. And that you need to prioritize finding it and holding it and seeing it and cherishing it. I like how many different ways you can use that quote. It can apply in so many different circumstances as a way of letting go and as a way of taking responsibility, stepping up and saying, well, I can only control what I can control, but these are the pieces that I could probably take action on and that I can see a piece that I could take action on and choose not to and allow that to be because I'm going to choose not to control something. And also, like you said, getting a win, Mm -hmm. right? Like getting reinforcement from, I chose to take action on that, knowing it was the right or a good choice to control that and getting that good feeling, that good, warm, happy feeling of, hey, that was good. And then moving on to the next minute decision of, am I going to try and control that? (laughs) Nah, we'll see what happens. Good luck. (laughs) Well, this feels like a really good place for us to wrap up right there on the, am I going to try to control that? Nah. (laughs) It is what it is. It is what it is. 
Thanks so much for joining me today, Stephanie. This was a really fun conversation. I very much enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.